Hi, and welcome to The Grove Podcast. I'm Matt Battiali, your host. In these episodes, we try and bring you companies and people and discussions that we at Mangrove Investor feel are important. These are the parts of the business world that maybe you don't see every day. So we try and highlight nonprofits, private companies, and even some public companies and show you the good that they're doing. So sit back and enjoy this episode. And thanks very much for listening. I'm really excited about today's podcast guest. Today we interviewed Emily Flint, and she is a rising junior at Florida Institute of Technology, where she's pursuing a really interesting degree path. And I'm going to let her tell you all about it, but Emily uh, is a representation of kind of a different way of thinking about the world uh, with an eye on how everything works together, and how sustainability can be wrapped into the conversation of business and law and life. So I really hope you enjoy this one. I really enjoyed talking to her, and I'm hoping that we'll have Emily back again as we watch her progress through her studies. So thanks for listening, and I hope you like it. Thank you very much, Emily, for being with us today. Um, I can't wait to, to have this conversation. And can you start us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, the school you're going to, and what you're majoring in. So I'm going to Florida Institute of Technology. I'm majoring in marine conservation, and I have two minors in pre-law and sustainability. Um, I actually started going to FIT because it's near the beach. I was a little bit familiar with the area, <laughs> but I've really enjoyed being there and I found that it's given me a lot of professional opportunities. That's great. I love the, the you know, the choice of school. Well, what's near the beach, mom? <laughs> Let's try that. <laughs> and, and how do Pretty you like, <laughs> how do you like school so far? I think that it's been really great so far. Um, there's definitely a lot of benefits to going to a smaller school, mm-hmm. but I think what I like the most about it is because of the way the programs are set up with a large flight program, aerospace engineering, marine biology, marine conservation, it's the norm for students to be studying things that they're passionate about. Yeah, that's... So it's not a school where people just float by and do well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation is because the idea that you can get a minor in sustainability is really interesting. So can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, what the program is like in sustainability and how it dovetails with both your major in marine conservation and with your other minor in pre-law? So there's actually a ton of overlap between marine conservation as a major and sustainability as a minor. Mm -hmm. So what I've found is that having the sustainability minor is really just adding an emphasis on rounding out my degree. Um, It's interesting because even though a lot of the courses are very similar, marine conservation is more science heavy with the ecology track. It's very similar to marine bio, Mm -hmm. but it's set up in a way that the sustainability minor really complements it and so does the pre-law minor so really what i'm doing is just getting a very interdisciplinary experience and trying to combine programs that most people wouldn't automatically think to combine Mm -hmm. and i've found that it's definitely just helping me to um 
get a an education that will be very helpful on all fronts. Cool. So let's talk about sustainability. So is is it? I, I I'm curious about what a, what your class range is like. So when they do sustainability, is it you know this is a class in picking up trash on the beach? <laughs> Can you c- kind of give us an idea of what what is sustainability like? So a lot of the sustainability classes at Florida Tech are taught with an emphasis on thinking and systems. Mm-hmm. I know last semester I actually took my first um, intro to sustainability course, and that was pretty much what the class was was just looking at how different things have impacts on each other and learning that kind of systems way of thinking and how that integrates into problem solving, um, particularly with our environment and with use of resources. So it's definitely not just a go pick up trash on the beach (laughs) because most people Sorry, I was being flipped. (laughs) (laughs) You're good. Um, Some people seem to have that idea as their root of what sustainability is but exactly what it's really all about is longevity mm-hmm. so yes that does play an important role but really you have to be able to look at things from different angles and problem solve so that's what makes it really compatible with any kind of education program that's really interesting so do you have a favorite example that you can use of of a system and Maybe give us some some something that we don't know. So one of the best ones to think about that everyone is familiar with is just the human body. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you, you know, want to lose weight or something. So you try altering your lifestyle. And usually what it is, is in order to have an impact on the system, you have to try altering different parts of it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes also different sometimes there's a impact that's not foreseen so you could you know take a medication for one issue and it causes another so Mm -hmm. it's things like that where you have to start to understand the relationships i think that's great the law of unintended consequences is usually the one that jumps up and bites you first when you're doing something (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so all right so marine conservation sustainability minor, pre-law minor. So what's the outcome that you would like to get to with your studies? So as of right now, I'm hoping to go to law school. Mm -hmm. I know the path for my career depends heavily on whether I decide for sure to go, when I decide to go, if any job opportunities happen to come up between now and then. But I know I'd like to do something in the field of law and policy. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to be able to become educated on more of that and to um, pursue something that's mixing law, science, and business. Man, that's a, that's a powerful and potent combination. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I was able to marry business and science. And that that has worked really well for me. Adding law on top of that, I think, is going to be that's going to be great. So, how does the marine conservation angle fit in with sustainability and pre-law? Is that did you, were you just drawn to that because for the same reason you chose the school, you love the ocean, or how did you get there? So that's a big part of how I was drawn to it, but also 
the path that I took was a little bit different than most. Instead of um, knowing exactly what I wanted to study and then finding a school that had that, Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to go to Florida Tech. I actually started as a civil engineering student, and I was hoping to concentrate in environmental law or Mm -hmm. environmental engineering. But when I was at the school, I almost immediately added a sustainability minor. And when I started looking at the course offerings for that, I started looking at some related majors. And I decided that the interdisciplinary nature of it um, really drew me towards it and made me want to switch my major to marine conservation Mm -hmm. to be able to really open up the degree and the opportunities that I had. That's really cool. That's really cool. I ended up in uh, sedimentology kind of in a similar way. I loved the mm-hmm. ocean, loved the ocean and the, you know, the ability to study uh, rocks that came from ancient oceans was what really drew me into this, into my field of study. And then I really mm-hmm. wasn't looking down the road very far, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but it just, it, it, for me, the opportunities just seem to open up because I, I, I do think the more passionate you are about your field of study, um, the more opportunities will come your way, you know? And, and so that, I think that's a good, good group of choices that you've made so far. So what are you mm-hmm. thinking that's about? That's definitely true. <laughs> what are you thinking about? So law school to be an environmental lawyer or what, what kind of in, let's give you, so it's 2022. Let's jump out to 2032. Where is Emily Flint in 2032? So hopefully at that point, I would be finished with my education completely. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd most likely either have a JD in law and hopefully from somewhere that um, has programs that concentrate in environmental law, renewable Mm -hmm. energy law, things like that. But what I'd really like to do because I want to get in the business side of things is to be able to do almost like legal advising for companies and to be able to really just mix together all of the different educational experiences that I've had Mm -hmm. into a setting where I would be able to use that expertise and just apply it to um, real world in the way that businesses operate. Cool. A Juris Doctor is, uh, you know, that's a big ticket. <laughs> that's a lot of schooling. Well, so and an expensive one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. The, let's talk about um, let's talk about greenwashing because you're you have an interest in law, um, and I don't know if you've been reading a lot about this lately, but the 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 um, the powers that be, and I, I'm not sure if it was the SEC which is the Securities and Exchange Commissioner, if it was the, if it was a different branch, but they came down on uh, some funds that were advertising themselves as green funds because there's a, they're very popular right now, as you probably know, the idea of sustainable investing and um, investing in companies that, that score high on like an ESG rating um, are popular. So the marketers said, well, let's just call these funds green. And the, the term for, for that when you, when you pretend that you're green and not really is called greenwashing. 
and mm -hmm. they're cracking down on uh, that false advertising. So in your head, um, what, how would you judge a company on sustainability or maybe on their ESG? What criteria are you looking for? Because, you know, I think, I think ESG is a fairly fluid definition and it's getting kind of politicized. So you're an expert. What do you think? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd call me an expert <laughs> at this point. Um, but for me, when I'm thinking of sustainable companies mm -hmm. and the ESG bottom lines is everything really is all about trade-offs, especially in business. And I think as a very minimum, a company has to be able to balance those things and be making a conscious and active effort to have positive environmental and social impacts. I think those things are very hard to measure. And that's part of why there's difficulty with cracking down mm -hmm. on this greenwashing. Because in the end, this is where the law really comes in, where it's like, okay, how much are we able to restrict what these companies are marketing their products as? And so that's a really interesting side of it. Um, I don't have a perfect solution by any means. <laughs> it's definitely a very prevalent issue. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say trying to really at least have companies be honest about what it is that they're doing and change the norm from buying things because they have a label that says that they're green to actually doing research into the products that you're buying or from the business side the products that you're stocking your store with and being able to kind of look past those labels and recognize different um characteristics of things that are actually green yeah. versus just saying that they are it's a what you just described is an entire career <laughs> trying to set up those <laughs> trying to set those those distinctions and providing people with the research, it's really, you know, I, I know this from having done this research myself because, you know, my my background is financial research. So I do analysis in, in companies. I, I go through all their public filings. I usually talk to management. And now with Mangrove Investor, what we're trying to do is add another layer to that and and do exactly what you said do, do the due diligence to find out if a company um, is actually doing what they say they're doing but when you listen to fund managers uh, people who i have a lot of respect for even um they'll say oh this company i really like this company they're they're green they're doing the x y and z and then you'll go and listen to another one and they'll say i hate that company and they'll bring out one specific uh, example so one of the ones that uh, gets batted around a lot uh, is like ExxonMobil and some of these big major oil companies. On the one hand, they're fossil fuel producers. They're, the, they're, the, they're meeting the world's need for energy. And right now the world consumes fossil fuels. And we know that they're not sustainable. They're like the definition of unsustainable uh, energy. But on the other hand, these giant energy companies are beginning to pivot into more renewable fuels, uh, green hydrogen being one that comes to mind. But they also um, 
are, are looking at carbon sequestration. There are a whole, whole list of things. So how do we balance those two things? How do we look at um, one of these giant oil companies? Do you immediately write them off and say, nope, they're not green, they're not sustainable, they're, they're bad actors? Or do you look at the future and look at where they're going uh, and say, okay, then maybe they do fit? So for that, I think that it definitely has to be a balance. You want companies that are going in a positive direction, but that are doing so in such a way that it's improving their present um, findings. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's really important to balance that out. And for a situation like that with these oil companies, you need to offer varieties to the consumers. I think you can't just write off a company altogether mm -hmm. when they provide something that is necessary mm -hmm. and that our economy is really based off of. And we've seen that, you know, especially recently. And so really, if you have more options that are viable, you can avoid completely diminishing any given resource. So, I mean, a common example is electric cars too. So if everyone mm -hmm. starts trying to get electric cars, well, that's a lot of precious metals that you're using. And so really it's all about just trying to balance those different things yeah, I think you're. I think you're nailing yeah. it. <laughs> do you understand what I'm I trying do. to say? Outstanding. I'm yeah. having a hard time making well, it clear, but <laughs> no, that's a, and and you put your finger on the the heart of the problem, which is compromise. People don't want to compromise, so mm -hmm. you know there there's an entire team that says no. Oil companies are terrible. All fossil fuels are terrible, and there that same team is all in on electric vehicles but the problem is most of them don't know where the electricity comes from you know mm -hmm. yes we want batteries oh yeah we've got to have batteries but batteries don't create electricity batteries store electricity and as much as we love wind and solar we're not there yet in terms of being able to provide all of our electricity from those things and so mm -hmm. you know you, you how do you have to think about that balance and the, your electric vehicles example is fantastic. And this is a conversation I've had over and over ad nauseum. <laughs> if, you, if you are a proponent of electric vehicles, you have to also be pro-mining. You don't have a choice. We can't recycle our way into enough copper and lithium and iron to build the, the number of electric vehicles that people want. We simply can't do it. And so now, as, as you said before, right, um, you're, you're decided that uh, you're going to exercise to lose weight. And it turns out that your appetite grew so big that you, keep, you just can't stop eating. And now you're bigger than you were when you started. That, to me, was a very good analogy for what I see going on in the electric vehicle world. Um, this, this demand for electric vehicles uh, is kind of a ready, fire, aim situation and so the sources of electricity are coal and natural gas. And the sources of your copper and lithium are often 
provided by unsustainable or very questionable mining companies. And so, yeah, you absolutely put your finger on one of the one of the, the issues that we at Mangrove have been wrangling with and are trying to, you know, help shape the discussion because you know, as with most things in our country right now, we're very polarized. And it's mm-hmm. hard to have a discussion and the the C word <laughs> compromise, holy cow. Like people they, they don't even want to hear about that. So Yeah. And it's really interesting just seeing the push and pull on both sides. And it really comes back to the unintended consequences and that whole part of the discussion where you can't just completely cut out something that's fundamental. You have to do it over time. And what it really is, Mm -hmm. too, is you have to change the mindsets of people, not just to be more sustainable, but to be able to look at things from a more well-rounded angle and really just be problem solvers. Man, I couldn't agree more. And and this is a that that is a perfect segue into kind of the electric power fuel conversation. So I've always said uh, I hate coal. I've always hated coal because coal is nothing more than a swamp that has been petrified. It was it was buried and compressed and heated and so you whatever carbon was in that turns into this rock coal but so do all the other associated metals you know bad actors in in that come in with the with the the rivers and streams that feed the swamp and so when you burn it you create these horrible sulfur compounds and nitrogen compounds that created acid rain so when i was a kid acid rain was the boogeyman you know it was literally melting the facades off the buildings in new york city and it it changed the the ph in the finger lakes enough that it killed off a lot of fish um and that was our target and the big the the really big culprit of that was coal and and the effluent so they they put um you know filters in the smokestacks and everybody fought it and that was the clean air act there were lots and lots of uh, problems, but now we're demanding more and more electricity our, as our population grows, and so coal is kind of sneaking back into the mix. And my argument has always been that we need more natural gas. And you know, the the, the peop- there are people who I have this conversation with who lose their minds because that you, switching coal for natural gas, they say, is just trading one problem for another. And my counter argument is. Uh, it's not at all because when you burn a lump of coal, it emits metals, all sorts of metals. But one of the worst is mercury. That goes up into the air with the soot. The the sulfur and nitrogen compounds. Um, and then soot, just unburnt microparticles of coal which get in your lungs and make you cough and can cause you to, to die young. When you burn natural gas... Natural gas is CH4. It's one carbon and four hydrogens. So when you burn a a molecule of natural gas, you get one atom of CO2, one molecule of CO2, and two molecules of water. And that's it. No mercury, no soot. So in my mind, that's a great trade-off. Exactly your point. Moving from coal to natural gas on the way to a more... 
uh, uh, balanced um, energy budget of renewables, right? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I think natural gas definitely is a very important energy source, and it certainly burns much, much cleaner than coal. I do think it's like anything else where it's not a perfect solution, but it is a viable one. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, even with that, there's some issues with, you know, the sources of natural gas and things like that. So I really think that with the upcoming technological advancements that we really need to be looking at some different options. Um, I know there's a lot of research being done into things with like hydrofuel cells and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I'm Um, a big fan of hydrofuel cells. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so I think trying to branch out a little more wouldn't be the worst, even just to provide some more options. I know nuclear energy is a really big one. Um, I think a lot of what has to be done for that is essentially PR work. Um, Well, you know, it's funny because nuclear, when I was a kid, uh, was the big boogeyman because of the the waste there's they they have a problem with where do you store the nuclear waste and even today mm-hmm. there's a there is a catastrophe waiting to happen because a lot of the nuclear waste um, that was generated by our existing nuclear power plants is stored outside of Raleigh North Carolina in ponds and i mean that's a not a great long-term solution (laughs) they need to figure out what to do with it you know that years ago the the french used to seal their nuclear waste in glass capsules and drop it into deep parts of the ocean so they're you know Mm -hmm. nuclear i agree with you though i'm uh, 100 on board um there are safe ways to generate electricity with nuclear power one of the you know when the fukushima daiichi power plant was destroyed in 2011 i'm not sure if you know this story um, people panicked. This was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- it was hit by an earthquake, uh, which damaged the facility but didn't destroy it. But it was the subsequent tsunami. So this the the facility was hardened against one or the other, but not both. And they mm-hmm. had a runaway runaway reactor. It's it's one of those stories. It's uh, you know you you can read about it. It was a horror story. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. But yeah. In response to that, Germany shut down the bulk of their nuclear reactors and they didn't have enough power. So what they did was they turned to this really crappy, low-quality lignite coal to um, to start to take up some of the slack. And then they had to import electricity from France and the French generate most of their electricity from nuclear power. So even though the Germans Mm -hmm. shut down their own power plants, they were importing it. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, that's one of those, man, politics, right? Uh, And and overreactions. But it's got its own, Mm -hmm. you know, nuclear power has its own bag of worms. We'll have to see what happens. But Emily, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back. Uh, as you as you progress, I, these conversations about sustainability uh, are going to have to be ongoing. So I, I would be it would it would make me happy if you were part of that conversation. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks very much, and we will have you back.
Well, look at that. You made it to the end. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, uh, and we're going to have a lot more coming. You need to sign up and become part of The Grove. Give us your email address, and we'll make sure you're notified anytime there's a new podcast coming down the pipe. Have a great day.